millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Open the glove box, reach in. What have you got? Jills and Jim's Joyride. I'm truly delighted and very excited and uh, this week, Jim, because we've oh, yeah. got a very special guest. Yes. And that guest is we're actually Zooming him all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. Wow. He's not only one of my dear friends, but he's also one of the greatest guitar player singers that I know. I know. When this man touches a guitar, it becomes a magical item in his hands. He's twanged his way around the world, yes. astonishing people with his plectrum. That's right. <laughs> he really has. And now yeah. he's here with us. It's Joe Bonamassa. Joe Bonamassa. Very welcome to you. How are you doing? doing guys thanks for having me by the way i'm stealing that i'm i've twanged my way around the world and i've i've i'm stealing that slogan that's great but of course you tour all over the world is it something you enjoy doing moving around and touring you know i you don't get into this if you're not nomadic by nature and you know the thing i've learned about myself in the last year is i like to move around you know, even when I'm off, I'm moving around. And it's just being in motion for 30 years and seeing the world, meeting different people. And, and you know, you're blessed to play music, but you're, you're, you're paid to travel, you know? And, you, and you know, I have friends everywhere that we've gone. And it, it's, it's, it's astonishing that a kid from Utica, New York, can pull that off, you know? So it's, I, do, I, I do love traveling. That's, so you, that's one you're of my from, favorite parts of it. You're from New York originally. Yes, upstate New York, a, a town called Utica. And, you know, it was just a small industrial blue collar town and the weather was bad. And all I had to do in the winter and summer was sit at home and play my guitar, jam along with the cream records and the blues. My first record I bought was the progressive blues experiment by Johnny Winter. And I detected ah. quite a bit of you in, and Johnny Winter together, I thought. I, I was a huge fan of Johnny Winter, and the, the artist that got the first million-dollar recording deal was Johnny Winter. And Clive Davis signed him to Columbia in 1969 for a million dollars. Wow. And that, that's how hot he was back in the day. He was a stadium guy. I mean, like yeah. in this, this country, he was a stadium guy, and he was really, you know, deserves to be in the conversation with, you know, introducing the blues to a lot of young people, you know, along with Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page. Johnny Winter was, was especially in America, was on the forefront of, of that movement, you know, and he was playing straight blues. But yeah. and there's a, another journey thing, really, because it has to be said that you're 
very unusual in that there's a lot of uh, British people, really, since the, uh, the 50s, uh, yeah. probably some before then, and, but certainly huge in the 60s, who latched on to American blues and gospel and rhythm and blues music and all of that. But you did the journey in the opposite direction and latched on to the, a lot of the British blues people, didn't you? Yeah, and that was my introduction. I mean, I knew who Jeff Beck was before I knew who Howlin' Wolf was. I'm a product of my father's record collection. You know, he was listening to Cream. He was listening to John Mayall and the Blues Breakers, Jeff Beck Group and Zeppelin and Crosby, Stills and Nash. And only subsequently did I go back and, and, you know, study the masters. But I am a British blues guy. People think I'm British and I'm happy to, you know, in certain situations, I'm happy to let them think that. Could you get away with with a British accent? I have a terrible British accent (laughs) because I, I was the PBS, like, the, the PBS Albert Hall guy, people go, you, you don't sound British. I go, I'm not. I'm from, I'm from upstate New York. And they're like, well, we thought you were British because you played the Royal Albert Hall. I said, it's not a prerequisite. They yeah. do let a, an American yeah. play there once yeah. in a while. They're, they're, very easy go- they're very easy going there, very open, very broad-minded. And of yes. course, you're, you're, some people come on this show and they talk about cars or they like trains. Some people don't like right. cars, trains. Any, you know, they just talk about walking around. But you actually yeah. are a bit of a car person, aren't you? I like old cars. Because there's something organic about the driving experience that just I have nothing to do other than preserve my own life and the life of the car while I'm while I'm going to the to the store. And, and, it, and it's a fun hobby, but it's also very frustrating because, you know, every day there's something going. You, you know, Jules, I mean, have you ever uh, have you ever done the, the Picasso, the old car Picasso? You take a white piece of paper and you stick it under an old car and two days later you pull it out and all the different colors of the things that are leaking from 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 your vehicle Ooh. come on and it's like it's like a you know like a like a modern picasso painting sounds more like a jackson pollock it, it could be anybody it could but, it just depends on the vehicle yes i mean i think that what do you in your garage do you in fact in my garage when the when there's a bit of a leak what we do is put a little bit of sand over it and pretend it hasn't been there a bit like yeah. a sort of blotting paper or, or a bit like literally Cardboard. sweeping it sweeping it under the carpet like it never yeah. happened you know Sawdust. yeah, yeah it's a, I, I have i have drip pans under all the cars what have you got what cars have you got i have a bunch of pickup trucks i mean the pickup truck is perfect for gear transport i just put a whole bunch of guitars and amps in the back of the truck and just set off uh, set off to the studio the one thing is that somebody could come by and just snatch one out of the back and run down the street and i would be you mean you don't cover them with tarpaulin or anything also don't aren't aren't they then at risk because that's the other thing about a pickup truck which i have realized of course unlike an enclosed van is that Mm -hmm. um the pickup truck is your you know your your everything's very vulnerable on the back you one bit of uh bit of a a snowstorm or something and suddenly the whole thing is sort of caked in snow or, or yes. rain or whatever. Yeah, I mean, luckily in Nashville it doesn't snow that much, so I don't drive them in the. I, I try not to drive them in the weather, but, but uh, yeah, that's the, the you know the thing about pickup trucks they were they're completely they're just work vehicles, you know, and they they were they were designed to be beat up and you know, but it is it is satisfying throwing something in the back. Of oh a yes, truck. yeah, you, a lawnmower. You, 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 you feel like you feel like you're accomplished or accomplishing something. Yes. So you just you drive around town looking like you've got something to do with a lawnmower in the back of your pickup. And being a musician in 2020 and 2021, looking like you got something to do <laughs> yeah, exactly. is a good yeah. is a good yeah. thing. Have you have now because nobody can tour like other musicians? What have you spent your time doing? You know, have you found found more time for hobbies? More time to be close to the vehicles? You know, to be honest with you, I've actually had a pretty busy year. 
Um, I produced a record for a, a, a blues artist from Chicago uh, named uh, Joanna Connor. That was right before the pandemic started. I wrote a lot of the songs and produced a record with my friend Josh Smith for Eric Gales, who's a brilliant guitar player from, from uh, well, he's from Memphis, but he, he lives in North Carolina. And um, then I just did a record with Jimmy Hall that we produced from Wet Willie. And I'm about to start, as we, as we speak here, um, our, our friend uh, Joanne Shaw Taylor's next record. So I've been, I've been producing records. It's been an odd year for me, but a busy and, you know, thankfully, you know, successful one. 
famous people. Like I own Terry Reed's telly that he played at Glastonbury in 71. He bought it when he was on tour with Cream. Um, but as far as like, I wasn't the guy at the David Gilmore auction with a paddle. You know what I mean? I buy original stuff that that is made by Fender or Gibson between the years 1950 and 1964. I like that particular detail as well. I knew, mm. I think I told you that uh, Van Morrison told me about a fellow he knew that would only buy 78 records that were made before, I think it was 1946. Yeah. And I said, and he said to him, why before 1946? Well, after that, they never made any good music. Right. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> well, fair enough. Yeah. That was his. But okay, so yeah. what was the story then about the South African Les Paul? What was the story about that? You thought, well, I've, this one is, makes this unique. I've got, oh, this has to be in the collection and make friends with the others. It, well, think about it. It's Journey from Kalamazoo, Michigan, 1958, and it went to South Africa. Now, in the late 50s, the Rand was very strong, and people in South Africa were buying a lot of equipment. Um, so you get a lot of Fender stuff down there, a lot of Gibson stuff, and this family had this Les Paul that played South African folk music in Cape Town, and they sold it and to a music store and the music store got in touch with us. And the thing about what makes the guitar special is the fact that it has traveled around the world and has been part of this, this, this kind of, this rare guitar that ends up in a, in, in a place that you don't really realize or don't associate with Sunburst Les Pauls. It's like, well, how does it end up in South Africa? Well, it was originally sold in South Africa and then it came back here. Now it's currently 20 feet from where I sit, you know, and, and I was on tour a couple of weeks ago. We did a, we did a, a, a five show run in front of socially distanced audiences and it hadn't made music in front of people in 40 years, but here it goes again, you know, and that's what to me brings it home and full circle. So it's the, you know? it's the full, the journey. There's a film, I think it's called The Gun. And it's the history of a gun from when it was made and who it shot and stuff like that. But it'd be a lot nicer to have it about a guitar, wouldn't it? Actually, is there, yeah. a, is there such, a, such a film exists? You have a life of a guitar, all the different people that own it and a kind of different story about it. That would be a great film. You know, there's, there's a few guitars that have had some really crazy stories. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've seen guitars that have bullet holes in them. Um, there was one particular guitar I remember somebody had that guy was shot on stage. He survived, but he, wow. he was shot. That's a tough you know? crowd. Real tough crowd. I'm like, can you imagine a drummer telling him like, I told you we shouldn't have played Freebird tonight. <laughs> but no, it was, it's, you know, the, you know the, one of the things about any kind of collectible and, you know, there's a lot of talk about non, it was, it's NFTs, you know, non-fungible tokens. Well, these are fungible tokens in the sense that they have a life, they have and they will have a life after me, you know, you know, because when I die, hopefully not for a long time, they're not going to dig this gigantic hole and then shove my entire collection on top of me. You know what I mean? Somebody's, uh, somebody else is going to get them and they're going to have another life. And if, if you take care of them, they will, they will last as long as Stradivariuses and stuff like that. They, so, say, they say about the Stradivarius, or somebody told me, which I believed, although they might have been making it up, but I believed it, so I shall repeat it that the Stradivarius was made from a particular wood in the sort of um, 
forests in northern Italy, which is supposed yes. to have been the same wood which was inhabited by Saint Cecilia, the patron saint of music. And so it was somehow imbibed with music because it was a particular wood. Plywood. I think it might have been, <laughs> yes, M MDF. But is there a particular wood certain guitars are made of that bring, give them a certain life? Oh, they make them sing. I've heard that the wood makes the, the guitars sing. Well, in the case of a Les Paul, it is a maple top on a mahogany body and neck. Now, not all Les Pauls are created equal. Not all 50s Les Pauls are created equal, like the, the mythical sunburst one, like Eric Clapton would have played, or Jimmy Page, or Jeff Beck. I've played some of those that are really bad and don't sound very good. I've also played magical ones, you know? And I've also played new Les Pauls that are magic and some new Les Pauls that are really bad. Trees don't discriminate. There's some, there's some heavy, bad trees, and then there's some really good trees, and it's about who selected these pieces of wood and put them together. That makes the sound. Can you fly around? Are we allowed to fly now? I'm not yeah. sure. Are we? Because well, I was thinking of going to America. I was thinking I'd really like to get a ship, a boat to America, like people used to do in the olden days, and arrive at New York at the harbour. Of course, the thing about America is that there's some really fantastic drives. I mean, maybe some of the best in the world, because um, I was just, just before you came on, we were talking about the fact that you was, we were going to be Zooming you in Nashville, and yeah. Jim looked at the map and observed that uh, Tennessee has an enormous amount of woodland and forestry. It does. I zoomed, I did a, a Google Earth, and it looked like one giant forest, which looked enticing. So presumably very pretty in the spring and in the, in, the, in the autumn and the fall and everything. But is there any great magical drives that you've enjoyed, particularly across America? You know, I, I try to, like on the really long bus rides, I try to wake up early, especially if we're going through like Utah or Wyoming or any, any place out west, and like the, it's like the desert southwest, or, you know, you have the north the north part, that's that whole corridor, Idaho, you know, Wyoming, Montana, you know, um, Utah, and even into Southern California or Nevada, is because it's so, it's so incredibly beautiful, the rock formations, and you see these incredible landscapes. And a lot of times, because of the nature of my business, we travel at night, so it all looks just like a, a black road to me, but when you, if you have an overnight drive and you could see it in the morning, it's really, really, it's, it's amazing how beautiful the drives are in this country. I mean, it's anybody who gets the opportunity to just take a car across country and take their time, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a magical trip. I drove through Arizona once, there was a few of us in a car. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and that was, yeah, that was amazing. I don't know what you call them, those big pieces of mountain that come out of the ground. <laughs> They've got names. I can't remember what they are, but I was I was stunned by them. We stopped um, for what you might I don't know another word for it a piss stop. So we we're at the side of the road and there was a ditch and there was something in there. So it was desert apart from these pieces of rock that stick out of the ground. And so, and we called it a grunter because it was a grunt. It was like, so I thought it's not a bear. You wouldn't get bears around there, would you? No. So I don't know what that was, but we got to Phoenix that night and did sketches in a sports bar of what we thought it might look like and we all got so frightened we had to retire <laughs> <laughs> i don't know fun. what it was to this day that is that is pretty frightening and what about um the railways and things like that i would have thought as a as a or even as you say you have your own sort of theme parks at home things like roller coasters are there any other particular uh, things you like I, as your transport i i you know i i can say in 
now almost 44 years that Joe Bonamassa has never been upside down. Thank God. <laughs> I won't ride the roller coaster. I have a staunch, clean record. I've never been upside down. I, I don't like thrill rides because I don't like the violence of it. it it's never been my thing. It's, but I do love a good train ride. But you, you get that mostly on the East Coast. We don't have a, re, a really good railway system here in America. We, we, we've never invested in it. Well, we haven't invested in it since the 1800s. And, you know, it would be awesome if we had high-speed rail that would go coast to coast. We don't have that, you know. And uh, you have a little bit on the West Coast. You have a lot of it more central. You know, it's more like in like the New York tri-state metropolitan area. We take the Amtrak from Connecticut to New York or Washington and stuff like that. Um, and it's, you know, that's a, it's a great ride because you just, you know, it's, you don't have to deal with the highways. You just sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, I know? like those. I like the double-decker ones as well. Yeah, those are great. My um, family, going back quite a good many years, lived in Boston. They went from Ireland and Scotland to Boston, and then they moved to Rhode Island and then Poughkeepsie. And that. But my, my mum says that um, they went on a wagon train across America part of the family did and never came back they oh. never got where they were supposed to be going to and they never came back and nobody ever heard of them again they just disappeared oh that was very very common back in those days was it yeah. oh yeah i mean it's all that stuff that you see in like those old western movies it's like it was like families with these pioneer families would go out west and you know back in those days where they you know historically the the native americans you know would attack these wagon trains because they were encroaching on their yeah ancestral lands uh, it was pretty that's, treacherous apparently. stuff that's what happened apparently yeah they well, lived sorry, um, sorry to hear that no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're over it now okay <laughs> and now a message from our sponsors Denim, 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 in the air and you know winning it that's not really a hunt that's 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 a that's ego you yeah know? also i don't i don't i tell you what the, the auction i don't like it because the auctioneers say oh you you've won this thing and that implies that through skills and bravery and talent i have managed to get this thing where <laughs> instead of somebody else but actually i've only got it because i'm paying stupid enough to pay a bit more than something than, than, than the next person i know what you're saying and what you like is the hunt the the, the you know so if you have you heard of a guitar which is like some kind of mythical beast which you can go on a long hunt to yes, find? Yes, the unicorn of guitars. I did it. I did it a couple of years ago. Um, for years. Like, this goes back to early, well, mid-2000, like 2008 or nine. When I started working with Glenn Hughes, he would tell me about Tommy Bolin. And Tommy Bolin, there was pictures of him, and I was a big Tommy Bolin fan from his work with Deep Purple and Billy Cobham and his solo work. And I was reading a book about him, and there was a picture of a sunburst Les Paul from 1960 that has an American flag painted on the pick guard. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. I didn't know Tommy Bolin had a sunburst Les Paul. 
So long story short, I meet Tommy's brother in 2011 in Sioux City, Iowa. And he comes to my show and we're having a nice chat. And I said to Tom, uh, Tommy's brother, I said, his name is Johnny. I said, did anybody know what happened to this Les Paul? And he goes, well, the last I heard, it was in Utah. And, you know, it was, uh, it was Tommy's roadie. He kept saying it was Tommy's roadie. Well, the trail goes cold until the summer of 2019. And I get a random call from Phoenix, Arizona going, hey, would you, would you be interested if I could produce Tommy Boland's Les Paul? I said, well, you have my attention. I said, I don't think you can because many have tried and failed. Well, I know this guy, David, and he, he owns the guitar. Okay, let's get David on the phone. And my first question to him is like, and he's like, kind of has this kind of very kind of odd speaking voice. He's hello. And I'm like, David, this is Joe Bonham. Hi, you know, I've, I've heard your music. I'm like, thank you, David. And I said, where do you live? And he goes, I live in Moab, Utah. And I go, ding, 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 ding. And after a few weeks of negotiating, we come to a price. And a, a guy who works for me uh, named Rick Gould, he gets in a car, because I'm on tour at this point. He gets in a car and drives up with a bag full of money, meets a guy named David at a police station in Moab, Utah, and sees a black guitar case in, the, in his back seat. Right? He doesn't know this guitar exists. We're, we're chasing ghosts, but we're chasing ghosts with cash in a bag. Not exactly the smartest thing we've ever done. David takes Rick out to the desert. They do a seance. Seance. <laughs> they do like this kind of spiritual seance, and David summons up Tommy's spirit, and he asks permission to sell the guitar to me. In which Tommy Boland said, "It's okay to have the guitar." Mind you, Rick has not seen the guitar in a black case. All the case says the case says the James Gang and the Denver Broncos, which makes sense because Tommy was in the James Gang. Finally, <clears throat> after four hours of this. Rick sees the guitar and it's the one. And he picks it up and he drives it back to San Francisco and the rest is history and I, I, we finally found it. That's, that's the greatest guitar story that I've got but in because the of, of how long it took and how, I, wanna, I don't wanna say strange, but peculiar the circumstances were and how much, it's an unconventional guitar deal. When you said it had a seance, so at the end of a seance, the previous owners of the guitar were saying yes, the next custodian can indeed be Joe. Yes, but Jules, I, to be honest with you, I am not sure if this thing is cursed because now David, he owned the guitar since 1966. He loaned it to Tommy throughout the 70s, okay? And Tommy was, was, was his life was cut short after literally the night of his 25th birthday oh. when some, somebody dared him to drink 25 kamikazes, one for each year. Oh, no. The house band at this hotel in Miami was Wayne Cochran and the CC Riders. And you're like, okay, we've heard of Wayne Cochran and the CC Riders, obviously from the Blues Brothers movie, and it was a very famous group back in the day. In that band that night was a very young Lee Thornburg who plays trumpet in my band. He was there that night that Tommy died. David then goes back to Denver, ultimately ends up in Moab, Utah. He sells me the guitar. He's owned it since 1966. He sells me the guitar in November of 2019. David, unfortunately, is killed in a car wreck oh. in January of 2020. Oh. David's sole daughter calls up Rick and gets, knows that we, uh, I own the guitar 
ask going, do you know where my father put the money? And then, not to start a treasure hunt, she has lunch with Rick a couple of weeks ago and says, my father's last text to me was, I buried the money in the desert. Oh. That's the story. That's it. So well, somewhere, not to disclose figures, there's over $150,000 in cash buried somewhere in the desert of Moab, Utah. You've got this guitar now. I have it, yeah. Are you worried about the curse? I think it's cursed. Yeah, but are you worried about it? Is something awful going to happen to you? Well, then I'll be part of the story. Exactly. <laughs> the story's <laughs> more powerful it's a win -win. than your you're, life. You're, yeah. so, you're so generous. <laughs> the curse of the bowlin. But nothing bad has happened to me yet, so... Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers and it crossed. might be, you might get a reverse curse, you know, which will happen sometimes. But that's one of the best guitar stories it I think the, I've it, ever heard. It, it, in it, fact, it is the best guitar story I, I've ever heard. It's without question the best guitar story I've ever heard. It's a story of, of, the, of almost the haunted guitar. Yeah. I'll just leave you with this. You know, do you know the story of the, of the piano tuner? A piano tuner told me this story, that there was a couple who lived in North London, bought a new piano in the 1950s, and the same mm -hmm. man came and tuned it every three months for them. And they became friendly with him since the 50s, you know, because they liked him. Anyway, about four or five years ago, um, the lady was in the house and she heard him tuning the piano. So she calls out right. to him because he and that was all right. She knew he was you know, she, he was booked in to come round and, and he would let himself yep. in if they weren't there. She heard the ding, 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 piano being tuned. So she shouted out, do you want a cup of tea? And he didn't answer, just kept on tuning. He said, oh, you know, Horace or whatever he said, do you want a cup of tea? Doesn't hear anything. Then I uh, think so. And then he go, and, and she goes in to see him and he's gone. She, thought, she sits down to play the piano and it's the most dissonant, awful sound she's ever heard. He's just like wrecked the piano. So she thinks, well, I don't want to get him in trouble. He's like an old friend. So she calls the shop and says, look, I just want, don't want to get anybody in trouble. I wonder if he's okay because I, I asked him if he wanted a cup of tea and he didn't say anything. And, and the piano, I just wonder if he, if he should just maybe take a second look at it. That's all. And they said, he died a month ago. Dun, dun. Wow. What we need now is a haunted drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> Haunted drumstick. <laughs> well, look, Joe, thank you so much for being a guest today. It's been absolutely wonderful, an honour and a privilege to talk to you all the way from Nashville. And I hope that the curse is now reversed and it will be your lucky guitar. You know, that's yeah. the other thing. Yes. Yeah, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I didn't know any of this until I, after I bought it, but it's a cool, it's a, it's a, I'm lucky to own it. I'm very lucky to own it. Well, there goes Joe riding on his 450 guitars consecutively in a line. Imagine yes, that. Imagine that. What an extraordinary Like a huge sight. snake. Like a huge snake on the back of his uh, pickup truck. That's right. I yeah. don't think there's a pickup truck big enough to fit 450 guitars. This podcast was produced and edited by Molly Stewart. Sound engineers with James Stewart and George Latham. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.